Found in the New Testament, John 13, 1 to 17. So way back, not too much left in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. So Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet... He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The word of the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can be here this morning. Thank you that we can praise you, we can worship you. We can confess our sins and hear your words of forgiveness. We can experience your grace. Lord, we also have this opportunity to read your scripture and to reflect on it. And Lord, may this whole time of worship this whole time of fellowship 
may it shape us more and more into who you're calling us to be as your children. And Lord, now as we enter into the word, I pray that the words which will be spoken next, Lord, may they be your words and not mine. Pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We're in a series called Broken Signposts. Last week we looked at justice, at how justice guides us towards Jesus and and the kingdom of, of heaven. And there was so much more that could have been said yet, including the injustice that Jesus faced for us so that God's justice could be met and we could be reconciled to God. And this week we're reflecting on love. And love is all tied in with justice. These are all intertwined over these next few weeks because they're all parts of who God is. They're they're what we call attributes of of God. And love is, is one of the big attributes of him. And justice flows out of God's love for us and his desire to be in relationship with us. And justice brings healing and hope in a broken world, revealing that God's working towards the new creation and that's going to come when Jesus comes back. And and now we turn to to love. And many times, if we're going to talk about love, you think about 1 Corinthians 13 and how love is patient and kind and all these other things. And, but here we turn to a story from John. A story of... A story that you would never expect in any other book of faith or religious book from any other faith. So John begins the story he tells us this morning by reminding the people that it was coming close to Passover. A time when when the people reminded, they were reminded and they reminded each other of of how God led them out of slavery and, and into freedom. How God claimed them as his own people. And then comes this powerful statement from John. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And there's all kinds of things about the, the, the word end. It's about, it's, it's teleos in the, in the Greek and it can mean to the conclusion, it can mean to the finish, it can mean in fullness. And in a way it means all those things. Now as we, go, as we go deeper into John's story, this statement's going to become more and more powerful because it's said in a story filled with pride and betrayal. But this story also echoes back to, to the woman who just a few days before this had, had washed Jesus' feet with her hair and with perfume out of a deep sense of love and gratitude to Jesus for, for his grace for how he kept offering people God's forgiveness, how he kept accepting them. But it's also in the context of how the disciples had been arguing on the way to Jerusalem about who was the greatest, who was going to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus. So the theme of love 
It runs through this whole part of the Gospel of John. Pastor Jan Richard observes in John's Gospel in what's known as the Farewell Discourse, John 13, verse 31, to John 17, verse 26, Jesus uses the word love 31 times. Less than four chapters, he uses the word love 31 times. In these final hours before his death, the word is going to ring repeatedly, a potent echo of the moment when Jesus rose from the Jordan River, the waters of baptism dripping from him, and heard himself named Beloved. This night he will give this word to his friends, passing along to them the love he received at a moment he needed it most. Now we know this story. We know this story really well. We often, as we come closer to Good Friday and to Easter, we'll, we'll read this story, we'll reflect on this story. Jesus and his disciples are sharing in Jesus' last supper before his death and resurrection, a meal connected to that saving Passover story. John tells us that devil had already worked in Judas Iscariot, that the betrayal had already happened. As they get ready to eat, Jesus gets up, grabs a bowl of water, wraps a towel around himself to wash his disciples' feet. Apparently, there's no servants, no slaves available to do this nasty job of washing everyone's dirty, smelly feet. And none of the disciples even thought of doing such a, a humiliating, at least to them, humiliating task. And it has always fascinated me how Peter reacts. He's not willing to humble himself to wash anybody's feet, especially his fellow disciples. But he's also too ashamed of himself to allow Jesus to wash his feet. I've noticed in myself and in others that many are uncomfortable in receiving a gift of extreme humble service. And I talked to a friend of mine, and, and, and he reminded me that it points to our heart in all those times when we were unwilling to do the same. Being confronted by extreme humility and grace will do that to us. In a previous church, we had a gentleman. He would, have been, he would have been part of a friendship group if we would have had it. And he soiled himself in the middle of the worship service. And he was the type of guy where it just, he just kept on sitting and people around them were becoming really uncomfortable. And a young father in the congregation got up and took this man by the hand and led him to the washroom and cleaned him up. Something that this man couldn't do on his own. That has always struck me as one of the deepest acts of love I have ever experienced because he got nothing out of it 
everybody else was just willing to let him stay in his seat and then urge him out the door. This young father said no. Need to show him respect. Need to show him honor. Jesus reacts to Peter's refusal to let him wash his feet by pointing to a deeper truth. The disciples are not going to understand until after Jesus' death and resurrection. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. We understand now, looking back, that without accepting Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sin, we keep ourselves out of the kingdom of heaven. We're not reconciled with God if we don't allow Jesus' sacrifice to clean our hearts and souls and minds. Accepting Jesus' sacrifice for our sin means embracing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, turning our hearts, minds, souls, and lives over to him for his purposes. But of course, Peter, being Peter, then goes to the other extreme. Well then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And I get a glimpse of Peter's heart all of a sudden he's realizing his first refusal of Jesus that's going to keep him away from Jesus. It's going to separate him from Jesus. And that was a huge fear for him. Now Jesus' love is expressed in this story in humble, menial service, shown in washing feet and then serving the meal to all his disciples, including his betrayer, Judas. It strikes me that the gospel is completely silent on Judas's reaction. But that doesn't stop me from wondering what's going through his head and heart as this is all happening. We get a glimpse later on of his huge remorse and guilt. But we never learn if he, if he embraced Jesus' sacrifice for himself. See, Jesus shows us in this story that love's not based on how the other person feels about you or treats you. Jesus shows us that love can be hard especially when the person you're showing love to is actually working against you. Love's a, a decision and a choice you make. It's not something that just happens. That's that Hollywood love. That's our culture's love. That's the love that is broken. Because it's a love based on experiencing this moment and if something changes well then I don't have to love you anymore it's a love that points us away from God rather than towards him it's a love that gets twisted and broken in our world when people who are being abused are called to simply accept the abuse to forgive the abuser and stay in the situation because that's what love does 
I've heard too many spouses being told they have to stay in the marriage because that's what the Bible says. And the abuse continues and continues. You see, love actually looks like holding people accountable for their actions and ensuring that they learn how to live with and how to love in healthy ways. Love for others does not mean staying in an abusive situation. Jesus did, but he had a whole bigger plan in mind. And we're not Jesus. But Pastor Luke A. Powery challenges the church to show Jesus' deep love to the world around us. This demonstration of love by Christ as a response to betrayal and resistance calls the church to open their doors to whosoever will come, even deemed enemies, those who may perpetrate racism, sexism, classism, homophobiaism, or any other kind of discrimination. Those who might look different, act different, worship different, or dress different must be loved with the type of love that Christ shows towards Judas. It is unconditional. And that is the key to opening the doors of the church. All must be welcomed. Inclusion should be a church's focus, not exclusion. For all are washed by Christ, not just his friends. His love is without end, no limits. Love to the end, even to the end of the tips of his disciples' toes. Jesus loves in the face of betrayal. And even when Peter resists the washing of his feet, Jesus tells him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is determined to wash Peter's and the rest of his disciples' feet because he wants to be in relationship with them. Jesus will do whatever it takes to be with us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, no matter who we are, what we've done, or what's been done to us. Pastor Powers' challenge reminds me of the sign that's outside our own church, facing the street. Everyone welcome. The reality is hard and beautiful to live this out. Love, as Jesus practiced it with humility and grace, points us to what the kingdom of heaven's all about, shaped by love of God, neighbor, and enemies. And love is about how we live with each other, not about how we feel about each other. It's a lesson I emphasize with every couple who's planning on getting married. It's about living with others in ways that recognize that they're created in the image of God. Recognizing that Jesus is taking a whole long time to return because God wants to give us as many opportunities as possible to share the good news of Jesus, to share his love for us, the forgiveness, reconciliation with God. And how we live with others who disagree with us or who we disagree with gives us a glimpse of how hard it really is to love. Oh, it's way easier to love those who agree with us and are our friends and who love us back. But how does that point people to who Jesus is and what the kingdom of heaven looks like? 
Jesus himself says, you know what? You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the, on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Obviously, tax collectors weren't well loved. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore. Your heavenly Father is perfect. It's fascinating that Jesus ties being perfect with loving enemies and following right after this. He tells us to do our acts of righteousness quietly and with humility. came across a writer, Melinda Quivick, who gave me, a, I think, a really important insight into this story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, including Jesus's. She writes, in a strong sense, foot washing is a metaphor for confession of sin, and on this day establishes in personal and unequivocal action the astonishing welcome Jesus offers to who we are in our failings and deceits, not at all pleasant creatures. Jesus' example shows us God care, God's care for one of the least attractive, most avoided, often misshapen parts of the body is called upon to lift up the great generosity of God's compassion For what is repentance, if not the uncovering, the exposure of our unattractive parts? To be blunt, it is as uncomfortable for most of us to bare our feet and let a stranger wash them as it is to speak the truth about our captivity to sin. In spite of our rebellion, our betrayals, our sin. Jesus still washes us clean through his love. And as we're washed in his love, our hearts grow larger and we're more able to love more completely, more deeply, with more patience and perseverance. Quivic ties Jesus' love to a call to confession and repentance, to examining our own hearts, souls, and minds in order to recognize how much we need Jesus' sacrifice to be made clean again in God's eyes. And when we do this, we begin to get a deeper understanding of just how deep Jesus' love is for us what sacrificial, holy love looks like and a call it has on us to respond to it by allowing Jesus to wash our sin away, to accept his love for us, to be honest with God and ourselves about how much we need his forgiveness and grace. And then, as Jesus says, you know, he challenges us to go do the same.
to carry his love into the world and into the lives of people whom the Holy Spirit places in our, in our lives, inviting them to receive Jesus' willingness to wash away their sins, to forgive their sins, to give them a new beginning, a new life. So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless us as we live his love out in this world that we're in. And my prayer is that you will let him wash you. Amen. Father, thank you for this story of hard love, but also how we need your love. Lord, help us to be a people who live out your call to humble, sacrificial love in this world around us, to be a people who love telling others about who you are and how much you want them to allow you to wash them. But Lord, may we also understand that that's for us too. Amen.